0: Hey, we're in the middle of our study of John's Gospel. We're in chapter 14, and in 13, remember, Jesus washes His disciples' feet in the Last Supper. He has told them again that He is going to the cross. He knows that they're in deep fear. And He uses the imperative tense. We looked at that last week at the beginning of chapter 14 where He says, don't you dare fear. Let not your hearts be troubled. And then today, we continue in chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Listen to the Word of the Lord for you. Jesus said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you know that I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Neither let them be afraid. You heard Me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved Me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the Ruler of the world is coming, but He has no claim over Me. But I do as My Father has commanded Me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here, and let's pray. Father, we ask that You'd open this Word to us. It's so important in all of our lives. We pray that Your urgency, Your urgency might be on this Word. That we might together today have a greater appreciation for what You've done for us in Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. Man had three sons, all healthy and strong. In business, he was a rising star. He started in the mill. And within a very short period of time, he was the national sales leader at a major corporation headquartered here in Pittsburgh. Within a couple of years, he'd be a division president of this Fortune 500 company. As uh, Frank Sinatra sang, he had the world by the string. Until one day his wife said to him, I'm pregnant. He said, you're what? She said, I'm pregnant again. He said, get rid of it. And she didn't listen. He didn't know she didn't listen until a few months later and her body began to betray her. And he looked at her and said, you better get rid of that baby. She didn't listen to him. Five months later, she gave birth to a little girl. First girl in the family. As soon as he held her, she became the apple of his eye. When she was in kindergarten, she came home from school one day and said, Daddy, what's Sunday school? He said, what? She said, Daddy, what's Sunday school? He turned to his wife and said, she doesn't know what Sunday school is. You better take her to church. So I said, how about you? He said, there's nothing that young preacher can tell me that I don't already know. Besides, I have a tea time every Sunday morning. The years passed and the little girl grew to be 12 or 13. And she brought a bunch of girls over with their fathers one night. And the girls were in the game room and the fathers were in the den having a drink and talking about... <clears throat> the latest joke. And after about 20 minutes, they hear this fevered pitched scream from the game room. And so all the fathers get up and run into the game room. And there's this man's little girl laying on the floor with a big hematoma on the front of her forehead. She's a gymnast. They had this big chin-up bar between a real wide door frame. And she was doing backflips off of it. And it gave way. She landed on her head. So my friend, this man picked her up and his wife went to the garage and started the car and he sat in the passenger seat with her on her lap and her, his wife drove faster than he had ever experienced. Halfway to the hospital, a little girl looks up and says, Daddy, am I going to die? He said, Honey, why? you're not going to die. Why would you say, am I going to die? She said, because I never saw you pray before. The next week, he went to that church in Cleveland. That week, the young preacher was talking about being lost without Jesus. Now, this man had heard that with his ears and his head many times. But this particular Sunday, he heard that with his heart. And by the end of the message, the Holy Spirit had convicted him of his own sin And he was cut to the core. And by the end of the message, that alleged self-made man was beginning to be remade by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think of what the Holy Spirit did in his life. A little baby that he didn't want, wanted to abort it. The Holy Spirit said, don't you dare. And when the wife gave birth, this was the apple of his eye. And then she asked him at age five Daddy, what's Sunday school? Take her to church. How about you? I have a tea time. Years go by. She's on the floor. A huge hematoma. They're in the car. The little girl says, Daddy, am I going to die? What makes you think you're going to die? I never heard you pray. The Holy Spirit drove him to church. And there on that particular Sunday, the Holy Spirit spoke through that young preacher and transformed my friend's life. Hear about the guy who went to the doctor. The doctor said, I've got bad news and really bad news for you. The man gulped and said, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, you got your test results back. You're going to die in 24 hours. He said, well, what's the really bad news? I should have told you yesterday. (laughs) That's a little bit what Jesus is saying to His disciples. I'm leaving you. Now think of it. They've left everything for Him. And now, within three years, He's saying, I'm leaving. And then He says, and it's even worse than that, I'm leaving before the end of the week. And then He gives them really good news. He said, but I will ask the Father and He will send you another Helper. Now the word Helper there is tough to translate into English. Sometimes it's translated Comforter. Sometimes it's translated One Who Consoles. Sometimes it's even One Who Strengthens. But the word Helper literally means One Who Comes Alongside Of. And it's the same word used throughout the New Testament, to describe Jesus. Jesus is the paracletos. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you another paracletos and He will never leave you or forsake you. Somebody has said, there's no greater person in Jesus' life than the Holy Spirit. In the last few hours of His life, from chapter 14 all the way through the crucifixion, a matter of hours, Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit 30 times. In our, in our text today, He mentions Him nine times with the pronouns. So why is this Holy Spirit so important to Jesus? And the answer is clear. Because Jesus will stake His ministry on the Holy Spirit. And He gives us seven reasons why the Holy Spirit is important to Him and to us. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the Holy Spirit is a present. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father and He'll give you another Helper and He will be with you forever. Now throughout the early part of the church history, there was a great debate. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? Did He proceed from the Father or the Son or both? And yet, this text is pretty clear. Jesus said, "I will ask my Father, and He will send you the Helper." In other words, He will be a gift from my Father, but He'll be a gift that I ask my Father for. In other words, He's a gift of the Father and the Son. And this isn't the first time in John's Gospel where Jesus has talked about the Holy Spirit. In chapter seven, he's in the he's at the feast of tabernacles in the fall in Jerusalem. He's at the temple on the last day and he makes this statement. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and I'll give him a drink. And then he continues. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And as if John anticipated our question, which is What say are you saying? What are these living waters? John says, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. You see, the promise of the Holy Spirit is that there is a present coming for every believer. And that present is from the Father who has been solicited by the Son. The Holy Spirit is God's greatest gift. To every Christian. Second, notice He's also a person. Look at verse 16 again. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Now, the word another is important. It literally means of the same kind and substance. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to ask the Father to send you someone exactly like Me. He is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person with an identity and a personality. And somebody has said, God's greatest gift to His Son is His bride, the church. But the greatest gift of the groom, Jesus, to His bride is the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about your own life. Do you ever long for the Lord Jesus? That's because the Holy Spirit put it in your heart to long for Him. Are you ever convicted of your sin and you know you're guilty? That's because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I never thought about that, but aha, I've got that understanding. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the One who opens our eyes. He's the One that unstops our ears. He's the One that makes the Word of God sink all the way down into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the One who applies all of Jesus' work and merit to our lives. There is no greater gift that God has ever given to any Christian than the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. And He never stops working until Jesus takes us home. Third, notice the perpetuity of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. I will never leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. Now what Jesus is talking about here, I think many miss. Because they'll hear Jesus say, I will not leave you orphans, but I'll come to you. And they think what He means by i come to you is I'll come a second time. My second coming. Now, if that were the case, they would be orphans from the time Jesus leaves to the time He shows up again. But Jesus says, I'll never leave you orphans. He's saying the opposite. He's saying there will there'll be no time in which you will not experience the presence of God in your life. And what he's saying to every Christian here is what God says in the Old Testament to only two men. There are two men in the Old Testament that God says, the specific words, I'll never leave you or forsake you. One's Moses and the other's Joshua. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on that in chapter 13 and he refers to those citations where God says to Moses and Joshua, I'll never leave you. What Jesus is saying to every Christian is I will not leave you an orphan. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, He's spreading out the promise. In the Old Testament, two men got it. In the New Testament and in our time, many men, many women get that promise. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know what that means? In 1967, there was a group called the Human Beings. Great title for a group. The Human Beings. And they sang a song that was really complicated in its lyrics. It went like this. No, 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 And like that. OK. Somebody asked me after last year, do you know the rest of it? I said, sure, I do. Can you do a boogaloo? I can't. No, I can't do that. I'll never forget that song. No, 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 no. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying there will never be a time When I leave you as an orphan, there will never be a time when you're alone. There will never be a time when I will forsake you, when I will turn my back on you. The technical term for this is called a subjunctive emphatic negation. Isn't that wonderful? It literally means, what Jesus is literally saying is, I will never, under any circumstances, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. I'll never do it. No, 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 no. I'll never do that. I'll never leave you alone. Why? Because He's going to send the Holy Spirit to every Christian's life. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee that the promise is true. Fourth, notice the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. There's a woman in Oakmont who's in a nursing facility, and she will say, if you ask her, who's your favorite Christian author of all time? She'll say George MacDonald. Now, George MacDonald has been gone for over two centuries. But George MacDonald was a pastor and a poet and and an author, and he had a son who went to the university, and he uttered a prayer the day that son matriculated, and this was his prayer, listen to it, O Lord, shelter his eyes from nothing. Let him know the world's order, stark and unvarnished. Let him confront the enemies of love. Let him behold the emptiness of sin. Let him draw back in agony and horror. But in the murky waters of his extremity, clothe him with your grace. Exchange his illusions for yourself. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Rather than sheltering us from the horrors of life, from the bad diagnoses, from the person that you've loved that turns your back, her, his or her back on you, the Holy Spirit never shelters us from the darkness and the agony of this world. He never did it for Jesus. He'll never do it for us. Instead, what He'll do is he'll thrust us out into a dark, sin filled world where we will see all of the agony and have all of the horror and see all of the sparkling idols. And then he will show us one who is more beautiful than all, and his name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always pointing us to the beauty of Jesus. Fifth, notice the province of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Now Webster defines peace as freedom from disturbance. But that's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. He's talking about peace in the midst of disturbance. He is saying, I'm going to give you a peace in the midst of circumstances that should make you panic. But in the midst of hostility, in the midst of agony. In the midst of unanswered prayer, I will give you a peace that passes all understanding. The Holy Spirit will do that. Two hundred years ago, there was an island in the South Pacific where the king came to know Christ. And that was a big deal because these people on the island in his nation, they had many idols that they worshipped. And he said, I will only worship the one true God, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. Within a couple of weeks, his counselors came to him and said, do you know there's a coup being organized against you? Do you know that the price has been put on your head and your families? Do you know people are conspiring to take you out? The king, when he heard it, sent his troops to gather up all of his enemies. And he said to his troops, you gather them up and bring them to me on the highest point of the island to my throne of justice took him a few hours to get there. They had moved His throne from the throne room out onto the highest point of the island and He sat there and all of His enemies gathered around Him. And in front of them was a table with chairs and on that table was the greatest feast they had ever seen. Sumptuous cuisine. And He said to them, I want you to sit and eat. Now if that's all He had said, they would have thought, oh, He wants to poison us. But when he said it, he got off his throne and he went to the table too. And he ate with them. And the meal lasted several hours. And when it was over, he said to them, I want you all to return home to your families and I want you to experience the blessings of God. No mention of conspiracy. No mention of their objection to his newfound faith. So every one of those enemies went home and the same thing happened to them. They began to think about what the king had done. And within a short period of time, everyone took their idols and they began to burn them. And each one of those enemies named the name of Christ just as their king. You say, that's shrewd on the king's part. He probably knew what would happen. He'd feed them and they'd think he's great and they'd change their mind. He had no such idea. When they asked the king why he did it, his answer was plain. He said, when I heard that they hated me and they had a plot against me. Instantly I thought of myself and my plot against Christ. And yet when Christ called me as His enemy, He called me to come and eat with Him. Do you know who reminded Him of who He really was? The Holy Spirit. Do you know who changed every one of those enemies from an enemy to a friend? The Holy Spirit. Do you know that God is in this world actively engaged in every Christian's life because of the person of the Holy Spirit? Six, notice the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've only got 30 points. No, only seven. So this is number six. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at 17b. You know Him, the Holy Spirit, for He dwells with you and will be in you. See, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will not just be with you, He'll be in you. When Jonathan Edwards and his wife Sarah were married, she was 17, he was 23. They had 11 kids. Three sons, eight daughters. Now, one of those daughters died in infancy. But by the time all those kids got old enough, they all married except for one girl. And she was probably the most beautiful of all of their children. And yet, she was unmarried. One day, a suitor came to Dr. Edwards and said, Sir, I'd like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. He said, you can't have her. The guy persisted. But sir, I love your daughter. I want her to be my wife. He said, you can't have her. He said, but sir, do you think that I am a man that's not ever going to be an acceptable husband? And Edward said, oh no, you're a fine young man. I think you'll make a woman a, a wonderful husband, just not my daughter. The man said, sir, why can't I have her? Edwards said, because she's not worthy of you. Yeah, ooh. And and the man said, what do you mean? Is she not a Christian? And Edwards looked the man in the eye and said, yes, she's a Christian, but I've learned that the Holy Spirit can live with some people nobody else can. That woman never married. You see, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit never lived inside anyone. Everything He did was from the outside. But after the resurrection, John says, Jesus, this is in chapter 20 and we'll get there in a number of weeks. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now think of it. The same Holy Spirit who came on Mary and said the child that is born in you is of the Lord. The same Holy Spirit who moved on the face of the deep in creation. The same Holy Spirit who came on kings and prophets in the Old Testament. The same Holy Spirit who led Jesus Christ every moment of every day. The same Holy Spirit who enabled Jesus to do and say everything He did and said. That same Holy Spirit comes inside every believer Every redeemed child of God. And His presence begins to show. Seventh. And finally, notice the progress of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. When I was a late high school student, I had friends, men. Boys, men, whatever we were who started coming to me, and they were Christians, and they said, you know, my most important prayer, my greatest prayer, I'm praying for a girlfriend. And after hearing like three or four of them say they're praying for a girlfriend, I said, why? Why are you praying for a girlfriend? They said, because we want one. And I said, but why pray about it? He said, because God promises a girlfriend to me. And they all said God promised them a girlfriend. Finally, I said, where are you getting that? And they said, Psalm 37. You know what David says there? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I desire a girlfriend. I'm delighting in you. Give me the girl. Now, that's the exact opposite of what David means. What he's saying is, delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. He'll change your desires. You may find that he doesn't really want you to have a girlfriend, and you don't either. You're not going to the Lord presenting your desires to Him. You're asking Him, Lord, make me have the desires that are significantly important for you and for me in my life. You know, I hear a lot about free will these days. The best thing ever said about free will came from Jonathan Edwards. You know what he said? Our will is always free to choose what our heart desires. We all have a free will. Our will is free... To choose what our hearts desire. But then he went on. And our hearts, our natural hearts, will always desire selfishness and sin. But that's not the end of the story. The reason it's not the end of the story is because Jesus said, I'll not leave you orphans. I will ask my Father and He will send you another Helper who will be just like me. You see, of all of the jobs the Holy Spirit has, there's one job that's greatest for you and me, and that is The Holy Spirit is in the business of changing our desires. He will begin to change the things we desire. That's what happened to my friend more than 40 years ago. Remember the guy with the daughter who was on the chin-up bar and she fell on her head? For more than 40 years of his life, he would grab everything but Jesus. And after that morning in that church, the Holy Spirit began to change him. And now he will give everything he has to Jesus and for the cause of Christ. Every time I'm with him, I say, Gordon, would you pray? And he'll say, you pray. I say, it's my job. You. You pray. And he quits asking me why. Why? Because he knows. I said, I want to hear you pray. I love hearing him pray. You know why? Because it's so humble. As so plain, as so childlike. This was a man who had the world by the string, and now the Holy Spirit has captured his heart. Fourteen years ago, a man named Jeremy Kemp wrote a song that's pretty simple, but it really captures the essence of the progress the Holy Spirit makes in our life. It goes like this In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise. In the Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all of this world. Just give me Jesus. That's the progress the Holy Spirit can make in your life and mine. To get us to the place that all we really desire is Him. You know, that's the best prayer you can have. Lord, give me Jesus. It's far better than praying for a girlfriend. Think about that. Amen.